0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us. And uh, Lord, that you would be with us as we make our way through uh, this letter of Jude. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I want to ease into Jude. Uh, Jude is... um, uh, a great letter, um, you know, when I say ease into it, I found that, you know, when I was a kid, when I would go to a swimming pool, even if I knew the water was cold, I would just jump in, and now my wife just critiques the way that I get into a pool now, I sort of ease my way in, and, and shiver my way down, and that's kind of what we're going to do with Jude, I think, uh, we're just going to go in, one, uh, beginning with our toe, and, and, and make our way in, uh, it's, uh, Jude is probably, uh, and has been said, and I think rightfully said the most neglected book of the new Testament. Uh, how many of you have actually, just be honest, how many of you have read Jude, right? It's short, so we might've read it, but how many have actually said, you know what, I'm going to spend the next six months working my way through Jude. None of us, uh, none of us, even though. Uh, it was a pretty well-accepted book early on in, uh, in the life of the church. Uh, it's unusual that that would happen because its authorship is not apostolic. And that is, Jude is probably not an apostle of Jesus. Now, I know that some people will say, well, I think that he's talking about, you know, Jude must be the other Judas that we don't hear a lot about, who also is uh, the brother of Jesus, But here we get an idea that this Jude was not an apostle and was not related to Jesus. And we get that from the first uh, from the very first verse. Uh, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. First, the brother of James, probably the one who wrote the epistle of James Uh, and uh, was a leader in the life of the church in Jerusalem, but not a a brother of the brother of James. And the fact that Jude refers to Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ, and not a servant or rather a brother of Jesus, using a spiritual term, Christ means Messiah, uh, means that Jude was a Christian. Uh, He was probably an itinerant preacher. This letter is not... Y'all can come in and sit. We've got lots of room up front. Lots of room up front. And I'll tell you what, if someone wants to be a gentleman, they can even take a couple more seats down. Oh, we have seats over there. Good, there are three there, there are two. Okay. Um, so Jude is probably an itinerant preacher in, uh, in the early church. Uh, by the fourth century, uh, church council in Carthage in North Africa, in modern-day Tunisia, uh, said, yes, this is, uh, is going to be part of the canon of Scripture, not because they voted on it a la Dan Brown. Uh, but because they said, no, this this is inspired. It wasn't just uh, Jude going into his study and saying, hey, bring me a cup of coffee every two hours. It was Jude being inspired by the Holy Spirit behind the man writing out this letter uh, to the church at large. Well, the issue at hand that Jude is talking about in this brief letter is found in verses 3 and 4. And I wonder if if you come next week, you might find it helpful to bring your Bibles along uh, because we'll obviously be looking at some of these in in significant detail. But verses 3 and 4 read this way. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude starts out saying, hey, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but now I find it necessary to write appealing to you to commend, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And if any of us have known about the, the epistle of Jude, that's one of the verses that we know. Uh, this wonderful uh, verse about uh, contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because certain people had wormed their way into the life of the church. And these people were recognized as those who perverted God's grace into sensuality and those who were denying the only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so those are the issues at hand in which um, the, the author is trying to deal with. Now, for those of you who do a little bit of Bible study, you already know that there are striking similarities and parallels between the Epistle of Jude and Paul, uh, Peter's second letter. The difference, I think, is I was looking through it over the past few weeks is that many of the issues are the same, but in 2 Peter, Peter is writing to individual believers about how they can deal with these issues, where Jude is writing to the church. He's writing to a group of people. And so that that really is uh, a significant thing to keep in mind. And he also is talking about how we live as Christians, so I want us to jump down, and I'm going to go into detail as the weeks, go, as the weeks drag on for some of you, uh, but let's look at verses um, 20 and 21, because he wants you to know that all of these bad things that people are teaching have an effect on the Christian life, and verses 20 and 21 give a lovely uh, shorthand account of what the Christian life looks like. So let me read that for us. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, the first thing that you ought to notice in these two passages is that Jude has a very Trinitarian understanding of Christianity. He mentions uh, building yourself. uh, He talks about praying in the Holy Spirit Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And anytime the New Testament talks about, uses the the, the term God, they're talking about God the Father. And then waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so talking about the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, given over to praying in the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that prompts us and it's the Spirit that um, uh, translates our prayers, carries our prayers uh, praise when we don't even know what to pray. Uh, and uh, that's always nice to know that when we pray as we ought not to, that the Holy Spirit, uh, one of his jobs may be. Let me just change that around a little bit for you. Uh, and, and when uh, as, as your prayers uh, go to the throne of grace, keeping yourselves in the love of God, whatever that means, we're going to talk about that later. And then waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. So this is what the Christian life looks like. This is how Jude describes it. The, the normative analysis of what it looks like day in, day out as a believer. But Jude asks us a question. None of these are possible unless what? There's a little key, key uh, phrase in here in verse 20. None of these is possible unless what? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, that's a weird little phrase, because normally when you read the Bible and you see most holy, what's the next word that comes? God. And this is unique But what Jude is trying to get across is your most holy faith is not faith as in your capacity to believe. We're not talking about faith and you can break down that way of speaking of faith as trusting, relying or depending. That's not what he's speaking of here. He's not speaking of the faith that, you know, sometimes if you're a strong believer and anytime I wear the dog collar around town, uh, every once in a while or especially at a cocktail party about an hour and a half in, someone will come up to me and say, you know, it it must be so nice to be able to have faith. You know, I I just, you know, I have a busy life. I have a business to tend to and I, I just, I don't have the luxury of having the faith that you have. How nice that must be for you. That's not what Jude is talking about here he's talking about the faith the objective faith that is revealed by God in Jesus Christ that's the faith that he's talking about the faith so when we talk about the christian faith that's what jude is talking about here and jude is saying that our source of faith is without not within Which is really nice, isn't it? I mean, that's one of the the great things about Christianity, that that our source of faith lies outside of us as an objective truth. Uh, It's not it's not uh, contingent uh, upon how you feel that whether or not you have the faith to believe on a certain day because of whatever circumstance has uh, happened in your life, uh, the faith that Jude is talking about is still there, it's still real, it's still true. So it's interesting that Jude would say building your life on your most holy faith, uh, because normally when we would talk about building our life on something or building our faith on something, what what would we say we built our, our lives upon? Again, God, right? Jesus Christ. And, and of course, that's true. In the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus is trying to get across. You know, build your life upon this. Uh, you know, the, the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And that rock being Jesus Christ himself. But here Jude is saying it's not just building your life on Jesus Christ, but it's also building your life on the faith. The faith that has been once delivered by the saints. And this means that you can be a Christian, that that you can't be a Christian rather. You can't be a Christian without the creed, without a statement of facts. And by the creeds, I mean things like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which we say every Sunday. And so Jude would readily agree and say, hey, if you have to cross your fingers at any of those moments in the life of the creed, it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with it sometimes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to say, well, gosh, this whole virgin birth thing, this whole resurrection thing, this coming again, it's hard. You know, Lord, I, I need faith to believe that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, no... That didn't happen. No, I believe that one, but not that little bit. Uh, Without understanding those and and assenting to those creedal statements, uh, Jude is asserting here that that you actually cannot have a relationship with God. But let me say something about the creeds. Uh, I like how our articles of religion say it. It said creeds ought, this is article 8 for those of you that are dorky like me, Uh, creeds ought thoroughly to be received and believed why ought they to be thoroughly received and believed because they may be proved by most certain warrants of holy scripture so why are creeds authoritative are creeds holy in and of themselves are they god breathed in the way that god's word is god breathed no creeds only have authority in so far as they agree with god's word That's what gives creeds authority. So actually Jude would take us a step further and I think this is what he's getting at uh, in the letter. And we can too when someone says, well, but I'm a creedal Christian because there are things in the creeds that aren't covered, aren't there? Uh, And the creeds tend to speak to the time in which they were drafted. So uh, the Apostles' Creed, was a great time where there was a need to just sort of have a basic understanding of, of Christian faith. Uh, the Nicene Creed was at a time when we really wanted to be able to clearly articulate in a digestible form who Jesus is, the nature of Jesus as fully man and fully God. Uh, and so, and the articles of religion, although not necessarily creedal in their, their but they show that they are rooted in a certain time in history. Uh, And you can tell that it was the time of the Reformation because of some of the things that it addresses. And so if we were to write a creed today, uh, we might actually bring in some issues uh, that the Bible speaks clearly on, but are up for debate uh, in the life of the church today. So creeds don't have any authority apart from God's word which means that if someone says, well, I'm a creedal Christian, I believe everything in the creed, but I also believe all these other things that aren't in line with the scripture. Well, then they're not really creedal Christians, because again, being creedal means not just living under the authority of the creed. It means living under the authority that is given to them by God's word. So orthodoxy is not just conforming to a creed. Orthodoxy is conforming to God's word. That's what Jude is trying to say here by saying, uh, by talking about most holy faith. Well, this is how Paul said it in Romans chapter six, kind of an obscure verse, but I think uh, he gets he gets the point. Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Let me read that again. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, right, which is another way of saying alienated from God, have become obedient from the heart to what? The standard of teaching which you were committed. Right? The apostolic teaching that's found in the New Testament. So that's that's Paul So it's not just simply being committed to Christ, but committed to a certain group of truths that have been passed down to us since the apostolic era. This is what Jesus said when he was saying to his disciples uh, that I'm going to send you a helper who is going to lead you into all truth. And there are some things that I'm not going to tell you now, but he's going to tell you. That's what we're reading now. These truths that God has imparted through uh, those who have written uh, down the New Testament. And so that most holy faith is the foundation that allows us uh, to keep ourselves in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation, is God's word. And if this is foundational, you can be sure that Satan will attack it and that the church will have the job of defending it. So we know that Satan attacks the church, and this is where he attacks the church, not just um, back in the day, but if you turn over one page to 2 John, verses 7 through 9, here what John, the apostle of love. Remember, John's the apostle of love that talks a lot about love, but here I'm here. I'm at that age where I need reading glasses, but won't get them. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And so what is John the Apostle of Love saying here in a very tough way? If you're not abiding in the teaching of Christ, you don't have who? God. God himself. This is the foundational point. And so if you're not doing that, you don't need to be listening to anything else that that person may have to say. So now back to verses 3 and 4 that I read to us earlier. So he wanted to start writing about common salvation. But then he found it necessary to a right appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. Uh, the word contend here is a really, really, really strong word. And it means to wrestle. It means to wrestle for the faith. And um, uh, I was talking to my brothers about wrestling. And uh, one of the things that we thought was so funny about it was we went to a wrestling match uh, one time in the county seat in this gym. And it was... Um, it was George the Animal. What was his last? Steel. George the Animal. Yep. George the Animal Steel. And the Iron Sheik was there. And, uh, and we loved it. And we didn't know whether it was real or whether it's fake or whatever it was. But one of the things that my brother brought up to me was he said, do you remember we went to the wrestling match? And who was there in the audience with us? Elderly women. <laughs> They're all these elderly women, uh, you know, with like beaded nets on their hair and all that kind of stuff, and and it was and I, I guess that's who's who's really in, into wrestling. Uh, but whether that is uh, true or not, about whether the wrestling is fake, which of course it is. But um, sorry if that that ruined anybody's childhood. It's it's fake. Um, that's right. It's not fake. It's not fake. That's right. Uh, but but the wrestling that is going on is is the wrestling. Uh, that Jude is commending to us uh, for the faith. And it's so strongly worded. It's almost like the difference between force. Uh, To force something is is to really, you know, to force something. Uh, But the word he would use here is closer to enforce. So it's not just having it your way or trying to make something happen, but you're actually enforcing something that you already know is true. And because it's true, you have no option other than to enforce it. And so where there's a guaranteed attack, Jude is saying here, the church is going to have to wrestle, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, of course, this is a difficult word and it's unpopular. And we're all rightly tired of infighting amongst Christians. It's the absolute worst. And I can understand and I even sometimes say, you know, can we not just all get along? Wouldn't it be nice if if Christians could just get along and, and stop all of this bickering? And some people will say things like, well, doctrine divides. So let's not get bogged down on anything that might show our differences. Let's accentuate the positive. Let's talk about all those things that we're in agreement on and those projects which we can work on that where we can work in commonality. Let's not look at our differences. Uh, And I sometimes feel that way, but I'll admit that has more to do with laziness and fear than it does with any conviction. Uh, But one of the great joys of going to uh, Oxford University is just how old and historic everything is. And so I can remember sitting in a building taking lectures uh, that, was, that was from the 16th century. So here's a building that is still being used that predates the ruins at Jamestown. It's a pretty remarkable thing to the point that in England they have these little blue oval plaques and you have to really look to find them there. And I remember walking by one and it said electrons discovered here in America, we'd have a visitor center with an opening movie and all these montages. We would just, we would really do it up. But, but in England, they say electrons discovered here. Well, one of the things that I would often take people to was into the Broad Street. Uh, and there, there's a big martyr's memorial that was put up in the 1800s uh, memorializing Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer who were burned at the stake. But if you have to go over about half a block to the Broad Street, And there in the pavement, there's no sign, although there is one up on uh, St. John's College on the other side, but but there in the middle are these yellow colored bricks in the shape of a cross just there in the street. And if you didn't know what it was, you would think it was a gas line or something like that being marked out. Uh, But that's where they were burned. That was the exact spot uh, where Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer were burned for their faith. And it makes me think, you know, couldn't they just get along? <laughs> Couldn't they just say, you know what, you know, these things that we're fighting over are are not worth it, and they're certainly not worth our lives. But uh, but here were three men who said, no, the Christian faith's worth it. These are not just issues that we can agree to disagree on, but the very gospel is at stake. And even if it means being burned at the stake, uh, I'm willing to go. And of course, we remember. Uh, Latimer's famous words to Ridley, you know, be of good cheer, cheer, Master Ridley, for today we light a candle in England that will never be put out. And uh, not just England, but here we are today in Birmingham, Alabama, with a little candle <laughs> um, this morning uh, because of their stand for the faith. So Jude, uh, so all of our hearts say, um... um all of our hearts, I'm sorry, all of our hearts, uh, when we hear what's going on, even in our own denomination, the Episcopal Church today, uh, probably say, you know, let's not fight. Uh, but there are issues uh, that we probably and ought to contend for. Jude says we must be honest and contend for the faith. We can't all just keep moving along with a unity that is papered over any real difference And these differences are not secondary or tertiary matters, but matters of primary importance that go to the heart of the gospel itself. And those things have crept into the life of the church. This is not just 2,000 years ago. Jude's experience is our experience as well. He says you have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. Not in the sense that we think that, God's up there wringing his hand saying, well, if they don't fight for it, then what am I going to do? But in the sense of our witness to the world, do we have a faith that's worth fighting for? And if not, why would anyone want to believe in that? I wouldn't. But Jude goes on and says, here are the kind of teachers that have come into the life of the church. Verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They've wormed their way in. They've wormed their way in. These are people who come in uh, under a, a false flag. And they know that they don't believe in what the Bible teaches. They don't believe in the apostolic faith, but they come in anyway. And they come in for a very for various reasons. Some of the more obvious reasons that, that we see this happening uh, and you may have experienced in your lifetime are, um, you know, televangelists who have been uh, busted that really for them it wasn't about people coming to know Jesus. It was about what? Making a lot of money, right? Making a lot of money. Um, uh, and, and they knew that they didn't believe, but here was an opportunity for them to make money. Uh, and, and so too there are other people who, uh, know that they don't believe in what the Bible teaches, uh, but they're coming in, uh, no matter, uh, what. And some people are coming in just sort of passive, uh, other people are coming in aggressive. And determined. And of course, whether they're passive or determined, it's a recipe for disaster within the life of God's church. Uh, early on in the 1960s, uh, there was a dean of a cathedral. He went on to be a bishop, a man named James Pike. And, uh, and James Pike was a bishop in the Episcopal Church. And uh, he denied the resurrection. He said Jesus was just a really good teacher. He was very popular. He made the cover of Time Magazine. Uh, incidentally, he ended up dying in the wilderness of Judea. Um, His car broke down and he went wandering in the wilderness to try to find help and and he died uh, of exposure. That's another story for another time, but think about that. Um, And then later on down the road, Bishop Spong, the bishop of Newark, um, uh, he did the same thing, denying the resurrection, denying the virgin birth, all all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they did some damage. They, They did some real damage because all of a sudden here was somebody in a collar and a purple shirt who was saying, you know, you don't really have to believe those things to be a Christian. But I'll tell you what was worse. Not the James Pikes, not the Jack Spongs, but those who said and did nothing. Those who said, you know, it's not worth fighting. Um, I may think they're wrong, but I'm certainly not going to say anything to, about it. And those were the, the clergy who got up in the pulpits and said nothing. They didn't say anything bad, they didn't say anything heretical. They just said nothing. And that actually has allowed this sort of worming to happen in the life of our denomination. And so it's only part of the story to say, well, there's Bishop Spong and there's Bishop Pike. It's the generations of clergy who came in not believing but were passive about it. And uh, and so that's why you would have churches that were solid gospel churches And then they get one rector and everything goes the other way. Why? Because they've wormed their way in and they just end up preaching nothing. Well, the specific instances that he's speaking of here amongst the false teachers is in the first instance that there are those who are giving a green light to do things scripture specifically forbids. And that is, um, and, and in this case, he's talking about sexual immorality, which we'll get into uh, when we get to these verses later. Uh, but that's the first one. Those are the ones who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Uh, these are the people who uh, are a bit uh, hard to discern. Uh, you know, when it comes to uh, heretics, they very rarely wear a sign that says, I'm here to undo 2000 years of Christian teaching. Uh, they don't tend to wear that T-shirt. Uh, and so actually, it's not only uh, and I, I used to make the mistake of if I thought somebody was a little bit wonky theologically, I would be listening for what they were saying very closely. But I realized that I also had to be listening for they for what they were not saying. And so I've noticed they'll talk about Jesus a lot and then I'll realize, well, they didn't really say anything about Jesus or they were sort of vague about who Jesus was and vague about what Jesus has done for us. And so these are are those who uh, have come into the life of the church uh, who are a bit vague, but actually are saying, well, I know that the Bible teaches you this um, and teaches this, but it doesn't actually apply to you. In fact, your conscience ought to be your guide. And they'll even get super spiritual about it and say things like, well, remember when Jesus said in John's gospel that the spirit would come and teach us a new thing? This is what Jude's talking about. And it's alive in our day and age, too. Well, the spirit is doing something new in our day and age. And so if you're really spiritual, you'll listen to him. But of course, the Christian says, well, wait a minute, the Spirit would never teach anything that's contradictory to what God has to say. And so Jude is, is pushing back up against it. But you can understand why this is so appealing. I mean, I remember someone coming into my study one time. This is years ago, back in Virginia. And, and said, hey, I, I just want you to know that, um, that in my prayer life, I've discerned that God is leading me to leave my wife and children. And I, I said, did you have Chinese food last night? You know what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, most of you in this room would say that's egregious. Why? Because the Bible doesn't allow for that, right? That would that would be uh, not in sync with the Bible's moral teaching surrounding marriage. Uh, and yet, you can see how appealing that would be uh, to be able to say. You know, God's led me uh, to do this, and uh, and I, I get kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card or an exemption from what he would say. And that's, that's what, the, the, in the first instance, that's the kind of false teachers that, um, that Jude is talking about here. The next group, uh, those who would deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ, are those who are denying Jesus himself, that Jesus isn't who he says he is. It's not lost on me that, um, that uh, Matt Schneider and Holly and their children are going to be missionaries in Springfield, Massachusetts. And Big Life, the ministry that's sending them, only sends missionaries to unreached people groups. And this is the first time they've sent someone to a place in America, but based on research, they're able to say that New England is an unreached people group. That there are actually people, you know, we kind of in the South have this false dichotomy. We think that people have heard the gospel and they've either received it or rejected it. But in New England, people have never heard it. And and I think that's still true here, too, in Birmingham, that there are a lot of people who haven't heard uh, the gospel. But nonetheless, that's where Matt and Holly are going. Now, where they're going is Massachusetts. And who founded Massachusetts? The Puritans, right? The Puritans who were seeking religious freedom and wanted to uh, be the city on the hill and and really have sort of a theocratic state uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. In Springfield, Massachusetts, who's the famous preacher from Springfield from the First Great Awakening? Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was preaching in Springfield, Massachusetts, and now, 200 years later, is considered the most secular unchurched, least Christian city in the United States. How is that possible? Well, if you go to Boston, you'll find all these lovely colonial churches, one in particular that I always like to go into, uh, up in the thick of things, close to Boston. Um, what's the name of the big glebe there? Is it Boston Glebe? Mm-hmm. You know, the big green part. And, um, and, uh, Park uh street churches there and Faneuil hall and the and the state houses up on the hill. Well, there's a very old colonial church uh, called King's Chapel, and King's Chapel was an Anglican congregation until it wasn't. And what is it now? what 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 hit New England the Unitarians, the Unitarians who said, you know, Jesus isn't who he says he is. He's, he's a fine moral teacher, and we need to conform to his moral teachings, but he's not God. He's not God. Now, of course, all these Unitarian churches now are museums because there's nobody there because they don't believe anything. Nobody wants to go someplace where they, they don't believe, and, and you can enjoy the architecture just by visiting in. And King's Chapel, incidentally, is really interesting because they have they took the 1662 prayer book and edited edited it to make it Unitarian. And they still use it today. And so how about that? If you unknowingly went into King's Chapel and you'd say, well, this is just like the Advent. <laughs> but you'd have to listen pretty closely to say, wait a minute, they skipped something or 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 this is kind of off. And, uh, and King's Chapel, by the way, is the conservative wing of the Unitarians. Um, so the prayer book has kept them in at least the conservative camp. But they're still Unitarians. Well, that's what what Jude is talking about here, is that you think that these people aren't going to be able to undo the work that's been given. And unless you're willing to contend for the faith, it will be wrestled away from you. And even those places that were bastions for the gospel, all of a sudden have been given over to false teaching to even those who would deny Jesus Christ. And if you ask somebody in Springfield, Massachusetts during Jonathan Edwards' heyday, or if you were in Boston um, or, or any place like that, uh, and you said, you know, one day this isn't going to be a Christian church, or one day Harvard is going to be completely Unitarian and not Trinitarian, what do you think those people would say? You're crazy. That'll never happen. 200 years from now, if the Lord doesn't return, what kind of church is the Advent going to be? It's a scary thought, isn't it? And Jude says, unless what? Even with the elderly women looking on, you get in the ring, right? You get in the ring and you wrestle and you contend, not just for the sake of an argument, but because eternal life is on the line. This is not just a social gathering that we're having this morning. This is the earthly manifestation of the heavenly gathering. And the faith that has the faith to save is worth contending for. Now, of course, I don't have any problem with Unitarians. Uh, It's a free country and they can believe whatever they want to believe. Uh, But I do mind those who would deny Jesus Christ who come into the church are ordained and take on leadership roles and begin moving a church from its biblical moorings. That, I think Jude tells us we should have a hard time with. And going back to John... Uh, First John chapter two verse 22 John says this: "Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. no one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father, which means that if someone is denying Jesus Christ, it's not one of those things where we can say, well but they're a good preacher. But they're right on so many other issues. Uh, But in fact, if they're denying Jesus, uh, they are denying God himself. And uh, I'm going to finish up here. uh, uh, This is this introduction uh, talking about um, also the um, the last thing um, that uh, about there are lots of things going on in the false teaching of the church. But this is the last thing Verses 18 and 19. They said to you, "In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Scoffers. Now these aren't people who say, hey, I have a hard time intellectually understanding and, and grabbing hold of the tenets of the Christian faith. These are the people who say, you don't really believe that, do you? Let me tell you if you ever want to get a good idea of how scoffing works, hang out with some sixth grade boys. All right, that is Scott. They, They—they are artists. Uh, they're You remember that? Remember how cynical and condescending and sarcastic and even caustic, uh, you were as a sixth grader? I mean, just there aren't there people like that? You know, that's so old-fashioned. You don't really believe that, do you? I mean, the Bible may say it, but that's ridiculous. It's, you know, I was um, I was down in Tuscaloosa uh, back when you were allowed to go to football games, and um, and I was uh. I'll just say it. I was appalled by the way that the girls were dressing down there. And, um, and, uh, one, uh, woman said to me, Andrew, you know, come into the 21st century. Like, right, get over yourself. This is just the way they dress. And at that point I realized this woman's from the book of Jude, <laughs> um, uh, belittling, condescending, scoffing, um, scoffers. And, uh, so it 's really hard for me to think that jude isn 't applicable to us today. I think it really is and the the issues uh, there are no new heresies under the sun. Um, and, and the issues that Jude is speaking to today, uh, those who would bring false teaching in the church that is not conforming with the word of God, whether that be uh, through sexually immoral things or whether that be denying Jesus himself uh, and how that manifests itself in sort of a condescending, scoffing way. And this is where Jude does allude to the fact that people will even overly spiritualize it like, oh, well, causing divisions. Well, that's because we're enlightened in y'all art. You're, you're a bunch of, and I, I've had this said about the Advent, that, uh, that you're nothing more than a bunch of Neanderthals. Uh, I was in a clergy meeting in the Diocese of Alabama where uh, we were compared to segregationists in the 1960s because of our approach to the Bible. That's scoffing, right? And that's, that's creating the division. Adherence to biblical truth, that's not what creates division. It's the scoffers. It's those who would depart from God's word. They're the schismatics. Right. They're the ones who are breaking off. Those are the ones who are taking the faith and compartmentalizing it. Uh, we're standing in the truth, so don't forget that as you enter into the ring. So I think this is all perfectly uh, apt uh, for today. And it's a fun little letter, and I like it. And uh, we won't spend months and months and months on it, uh, but we'll begin to work our way through it uh, in the coming days. Questions, comments, concerns? Concerns. Yes, dominant is. there is a, uh, this a, a word of um, great comfort, the great beginning in verse the one where he says, To those who, who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept yeah. Christ, that's pretty good. Those are all passive. Yeah. And he did the calling, he did the loving. He did Yes, yeah, so we're going to spend about a month on those two <laughs> those two verses. So I said we're not going to get to number three, uh, verse three, which is uh, an important verse too. And we're going to spend a lot of time on the benediction too. Uh, that's that's actually the the first thing that um, if I knew anything about Jude, it was it was the benediction in verses three and four. Now to him who was able to keep you from so kept, so to Don's point, seal my thunder, kept. He's kept you, but also the the active keeping and the future keeping. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. It's a nice way to close it out, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll get into all that. But that was it. So I think you've got a good idea, though, the introduction of the context in which Jude is is writing and how that's applicable to us today. Anything else? Okay, we're going to take off next week. And then the 27th, um, if y'all are here in church, if you're, uh, not like the people Jude talks about and you're faithful, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just totally kidding. Um, actually the 27th is normally a day that my family and I go to a different church in, in Birmingham. Um, and, um, uh, but we'll be here the 27th because it's Matt Schneider's last Sunday with us and he'll be in this class and I'm going to have an interview and we're going to talk about his ministry here at the Advent, uh, but also what he's going to be doing. What does ministry look like in Springfield, Massachusetts? Uh, so I think it'll be a really good talk, but if you miss it, you'll always be able to listen uh, online. Well, let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the encouragement from Jude because so many of us... Uh, are prone to either be argumentative and just fight for the sake of fighting, uh, or we're prone to be fearful and to hide and to shy away from those things that um, that we know are not of you. But Lord, we pray that we would be neither of those, but that we would be given over to your keeping and that we might willing be willing to earnestly contend for the faith uh, that we have in you, Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You've been-